Good morning. There I am. <laughs> good morning. Welcome back. Happy New Year. It's good to see you all. I just have one thing I'm going to make you aware of before we get started. On some of your tables, you have a nursery sign up. If you would just look at that and see if you're available one time this semester, we would appreciate that. And then go ahead and pass it around the other tables. That's all we ask. Thank you so much. Hope Springs Eternal is here to get us started. All right, ladies, welcome. Let's stand and worship our Lord in song. Christ, yeah, the slide needs to be Christ, our hope in life and death. But that one's coming up, so don't worry. There we go. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone, and only confidence that our souls to Him belong, who holds our days within His hand. What comes apart from his command And what will keep us to the end The love of Christ in which we stand Oh, sing hallelujah Our hope springs eternal Oh, sing truth can calm the troubled soul God is good God is good where is his grace and goodness known in our great redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the stormy trial who sends the waves that bring night unto the shore the rock of christ Sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing hallelujah now and ever we confess christ our hope in life and death Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. There we will rise to meet the Lord. Then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope 
Christ our hope in life and death. Kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one King reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains, that my God is the Ancient of days none above him none before him all of time in his hands for his throne it shall remain and ever stand all the power all the glory i will trust in his name for my god is the ancient of days though the dread of night overwhelms my soul he is here with me i am not alone oh his love is sure and he knows my name for my god is the ancient of days none above him none before him all of time in his hands for his throne it shall remain and ever stand all the power all the glory i will trust in his name for my god is the What the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King. Then my joy complete, standing face to face in 
beautiful singing. You may be seated. Good morning, ladies. Almost forgot to put the microphone here. Today... I would like to briefly share with you how things are going for the Ravangis who are serving over in Madagascar. Fally and Lily, along with their five children, are missionaries to their home country of Madagascar. Fally is a teaching elder in their home church there, and Lily needs the women's Bible studies and actually prepares the materials that the, women's use, the women use in their Bible studies. A few highlights from their year are, their country had five cyclones in a row, and they were involved in disaster relief quite heavily. God provided new ministry teammates mates for the Ravangis, which will help carry the load. Their local church has mature, matured so much this year through the ministry of the word. One of the missionaries called 3M has grown substantially through the Summit for Expository Teaching Practices and Conferences. Fally had to deal with sickness more this year than ever before, partly due to exhaustion. He's doing better now and will be helped even more when a new ministry couple come and share the load with them.
Let's pray for the Ravagi family. Heavenly Father, we pray for Fally's health. We pray that he's able to delegate some of what he's responsible for for his new teammates. We are so thankful that Fally was able to graduate from his Doctor of Ministry Studies. Lord, we pray for strength for both Fally and Lily as they partner together in this wonderful ministry that they share. Be with Fally as he gains strength again and is able to resume his ministry full length. Be with Lily as she homeschools her children, takes care of the home, and is head over the women's Bible studies, as well as preparing the materials that are taught in the women's Bible studies. Please guide her, Father, as she also counsels the women the Lord bring to, brings to her. Please strengthen her as she labors as a true partner to Fally in the ministry. In just a minute, we'll pray for Fally and we'll pray, pray for Crystal. But before so, I would like to share something else with you. Today, I would like to personally thank you for such a successful monetary Christmas gift collection this year for our missionaries. Most of you have heard by now that through your generous outreach of love, we were able to collect a grand total of $32,932.49. Don't ask me where the 49 cents came from. <laughs> That'll be our little, our little quiz. Divided between all of our 19 missionary families, each received a check, a gift card, or direct deposit to their accounts in the amount of $1,730. We praise the Lord. We have received an outpouring of love, thanks, and appreciation towards you from these wonderful missionaries. In the interest of time, I will read just a few comments two or three from the replies we got from the missionaries. I won't mention names, just their comments. First one, thank you, thank you so very much. Once again, you've blessed us so much. We are now able to purchase Kindle books for us and for the children. The second one, we are stunned by the Lord's kindness and by how you all have become fellow workers with us in the truth. The next one, Thank you for your email message. Sweet greetings, wonderful news, and amazing gifts. We are forever thankful for you and your support. And the last one for today. I'll read more next time we meet. Wow, what an incredible blessing from the Lord and a testament to the love and support of Countryside Bible Church women. Thank you so very much. We are grateful and overwhelmed with this gift that we know comes with love and prayers. That's it for this time. I'll bring you some more next time. Let's do a quick prayer for all of our missionaries. Heavenly Father, you have gifted us so richly with these wonderful workers in Christ. Thank you for the women here at Countryside Bible Church who have gifted these families to go out and do your work, Lord. We thank you so much, Father, and we love you and we praise you with all of our hearts. Amen.
Good morning, ladies. It's truly such a joy to be back together again. It feels like so much has happened since we were together last time, right? We celebrated Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> I really love the fresh start of a new year. It feels like a new call to action, right? To, to remind ourselves of where our focus should be and to set aside the distractions that are so often calling for our attention. Well, I just want to say thank you for putting the effort into coming in person today. I come west from um, Fake Keller, and the traffic was just awful, and then through all the rain and everything, and so I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you for the effort to, you put into being here. Um, it's just such a delight to get to worship the Lord together in person through the study of his word and through song. Well, we are about halfway through our study of the discipline of grace. And we've seen together that as believers, we are controlled by the love of Christ. And it is his love for us that spurs us into action. It's his love for us that motivates us to live our lives for him as an act of grateful worship. Well, we also <clears throat> saw that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. The gospel isn't just the good news that unbelievers need to hear. It is also the good news of the grace of God that we need to hear on a daily basis. It's the truth of the gospel that keeps us from falling into the trap of Phariseeism, of being way more impressed with ourselves than we ought to be, right? And allowing ourselves, even subtly, to think that we are earning God's grace. Or, may, or maybe even deserve God's grace because we've been doing such a good job living this Christian life, right? Well, preaching the gospel to ourselves also protects us from feeling hopeless when we get it wrong, from feeling like we could never deserve the grace of God, that he is bound to quit on us at any moment if he hasn't already. Well, those are, that's also not true. And reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel protects us from erring in either one of those directions. When we stop listening to ourselves and start talking to ourselves, telling ourselves the truth we know from Scripture, preaching the gospel to ourselves, we can have peace, real peace. We can rest in the comfort that we are not, have never been, and will never be good enough. But by the grace of God, we don't need to be, right? Jesus paid it all. Praise God for that reality. Well, then in our last lesson of 2022, Sarah taught us that grace also disciplines us. Grace teaches us what to say no to and what to say yes to. One of the ways that our good father loves us is through his discipline. And that brings us, <clears throat> excuse me, to today's lesson. In your small groups this month, you're going to go over, or maybe already have gone over, um, chapter 6 and 7 in your book. And there's a lot of great stuff packed into these two chapters for sure. Well, the theme of our lesson this morning is sanctification. The process of Christians being transformed into the image of our Savior. And our text this morning is just one verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And turn with me in your Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll read that in just a minute. But before I read, I would like to go to the Lord in prayer. 
Father God, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for the way you set your love on us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it contains all we need for life and godliness. Lord, we confess there are so many things pulling for our attention and our affection. And Lord, I pray that you would help us set them aside and fix our eyes on you. Help us grow in our knowledge of you so that we can grow in our love for you and our desire to obey you. I pray, Lord, that you would be at work here this morning. Help me speak clearly and accurately and for the glory of your name alone. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so like I said, our text this morning is verse 18, but I would like to read verses 12 through 18 so that we can get a little bit of context. Verse 12 begins, Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And then comes our verse. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So as we consider this verse together this morning, we will see two key elements to the process of sanctification. First, we're going to see that New Testament believers have complete access to the Lord. Number one on your outline, if if you're keeping one, is our unrestricted access. Now, verse 18 began with, but we all. Now, you remember last time how Sarah taught us to ask questions as we work our way through a text? Do you remember doing that? Well, this verse gives us another great opportunity to practice doing that. When we see the phrase, we all, we should pause and ask ourselves, who is Paul talking about? Who is included in we all? Well, when Paul says we all, He's talking about followers of Christ. He is talking about everyone that has been justified before God, everyone that has placed their faith in Jesus for salvation and been made new and been made a new creation. And we know this because the rest of the verse speaks about the process of sanctification, the process of becoming like Christ. And the only people that are sanctified are the people that have been justified. Justification happens at the moment of salvation, when the great exchange of the cross takes place in a person's heart, when someone believes in Jesus, repents of their sin, and is saved. And the penalty for their sin is laid on him, and his perfect righteousness is credited to them. In that moment, they are justified, justified before a holy God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that Greek word that's translated as having been justified means to declare 
or pronounce one just, righteous. So as Christians, as those who have been made new, we have been justified, declared righteous before the Lord. And so that is who Paul is talking about when he says, we all. We all means Christians. All right, so what comes next? How does Paul describe we all? Next in the verse, we all with unveiled face. Well, Paul has spent chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians contrasting the old covenant, the Mosaic law with the sacrificial system and the high priests and everything that went along with that. That's the old covenant. And Paul's contrasting that with the new covenant that was ushered in with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant for many reasons that are explained in detail in the book of Hebrews, if you're interested. The writer of Hebrews explains that clearly to us. But for one thing, the new covenant is superior because it has the far superior mediator, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8.6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. A mediator acts as the intermediary between two parties. The mediators of the old covenant were Israel's priests and prophets and Moses. They could not adequately represent both God and man because they were merely men themselves. But Jesus can perfectly represent both God and man because he is fully God and fully man. And Paul says in 1 Timothy that there is one mediator between God and man, and it is Christ Jesus the Lord. Well, in Ephesians, we read that new covenant believers have direct access to God through Jesus Christ alone, for it is through him that we have our access in one spirit to the Father. In Exodus 34, we see that after Moses spoke with God, the glory of God was so radiant that Moses' face shone when he went back down the mountain to speak with the Israelites, and it scared the people. And so Moses put a veil over his face so that the people wouldn't be frightened. The Old Covenant was glorious in its own right. The Old Covenant was so glorious that it was accompanied by thunder and lightning and smoke and the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, and, and the people could even see the reflected glory of God on Moses' face. But the New Covenant is so much more glorious. In the New Covenant, the glory of Christ is revealed. The Old Covenant in general was veiled. Old Testament believers didn't have a clear picture of the Messiah, of what was to come. They didn't have the full revelation of Scripture that New Testament believers have. Under the New Covenant, not only do we have Messiah revealed and his glory on display on the pages of Scripture, but we also have full, unrestricted access to him through the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, only the high priest 
could access the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. And even then, it was one day a year, right? The Day of Atonement. But New Testament believers, we all have unrestricted access to the God of the universe because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We can go before the throne of God Almighty in prayer any day, any time, to worship him and adore him and thank him and petition him. That is truly amazing, and it is a gift that we should not take for granted. Well, that leads us to the second key element we see in this text. Number two on your outline, our undeniable transformation. Our undeniable transformation. <clears throat> Verse 18 continues, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Okay, so it's time to ask our next question. What is happening to all of us with unveiled faces? Well, the main verb in our verse is a Greek word that's translated as are being transformed into. That's one word. And it's in the present tense, and it's in the passive voice. That means that Christians are being transformed, but they're not the ones doing the transforming. It's happening to them. The Holy Spirit is the one doing the transforming. And the one that, the word, excuse me, the word that's used to describe that transformation is the word we get our English word from, metamorphosis. And so it's not referring to changes in outward appearance or even changes in behavior, but rather it's describing a complete inward transformation, like the changing of a caterpillar into a butterfly. And it's this process, this process of transformation that is called sanctification. It's this process of transformation that we're going to spend the majority of our time considering together this morning. Well, first I would like us to consider the goal. The goal of sanctification. Verse 18 tells us that we are being transformed into his image. The goal of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit is to conform us into the image of our Savior. It is to make us Christ-like. Every single day after salvation that we are still on this earth is a day that we are becoming more like Christ and less like we were before we knew him. And again, we are not just talking about outward conforming or modifying behavior but an actual metamorphosis that is taking place from the inside out. We aren't just trying to add some good works onto our lives that otherwise look pretty much the same. It is a complete metamorphosis. The goal of sanctification isn't merely to act like Jesus. Pharisees and hypocrites can do that, right? The goal is to love what Jesus loves. We want to be righteous because we love righteousness. We want to put off sin because we hate sin. And not just that we hate the consequences of sin, but that we actually hate sin and the idea of failing our God. And the transformation for the believer is permanent and ever-increasing. We will become more and more like Christ 
because he promises that this is so in his word. Likely, all of you are familiar with Romans 8.28, right? In fact, probably many of you have it memorized. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that is such a comfort to us, isn't it? We remind ourselves of that truth so often. And when we're going through difficult times or walking through a circumstance we don't understand, we tell ourselves that God is at work and he's working all things together for our good. Well, I don't know if you ever stop to consider why. I, I don't know that I had. I, I think I just camped there. Woohoo! It's all for my good. <laughs> and, I, and I just kind of rested there. Well, if we go further... The next two verses explain why God is working all things together for our good. It's because we are being conformed into his image so that his son is the firstborn of many brethren. The transformation is happening, ladies, and it's happening in our heart and mind and life of every Christian because God has ordained it to be so. All right, well, I would also like us to consider the agent of the transformation. Who is doing the work? Well, I briefly mentioned that the Holy Spirit is the one responsible for doing the transforming, but I would like to dig into that a little bit more. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. And again, the verb in that text is in the passive voice. God is the one doing the work within us. We can change our behavior, um, for a short time at least, but we cannot change our own hearts. Only God can do that. We must be dependent on the Holy Spirit as he changes us from the inside out. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, these are called the fruits of the Spirit because they are produced by the Holy Spirit, and they are evidence in the lives of all who belong to Christ. Well, I think that one of the most visible ways you can see the metamorphosis of believers around you is in these fruits of the Spirit. When you're a new believer and you're young in your faith, you set your mind and your heart and your intention on being loving or being joyful. And, and you have a real desire to obey in these ways. And so you pray up and you strive to display these attitudes, especially maybe in a circumstance that you know is going to be difficult for you. But as you become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, and less like the fool that you were before you knew him, these fruits become characteristics that describe who you are as a person and not just the way you occasionally behave, right? As the transformation of your heart progressively takes place, you go from being a person who was patient in that circumstance to being known as a patient person. And it's so lovely to get to see this transformation, this metamorphosis in the lives of the godly women around us, isn't it? So if the Holy Spirit is the one doing the work, does that mean that we're off the hook? That we have no responsibility here? Can we just 
Lego, Legod? No. I hope those chuckle means, like, you know that the answer is no. <laughs> Absolutely not, right? I just read Philippians 2.13, which said, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And now I'm going to read the verse that comes immediately before that. Verse 12, which says, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So in two back-to-back verses, Paul tells us that we must be at work, that we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, and that it is God who is at work in us. And so you might be thinking, how can both of those things be true? How am I responsible to work it out, while at the same time, God's the only one that can do the work? I would like you to consider with me the illustration of the farmer, okay? Think of the role of a farmer. Can the farmer make the grass grow? Can the farmer cause a seed to sprout? No. Only God can do that. That's God's work. People cannot make grass grow. People cannot make vegetation sprout, right? Only God can do that. So then, does the farmer just sit on the porch and wait for his crops to magically appear? Of course not. Does he sit back drinking sweet tea, just waiting for the acres of corn to magically show up? Of course not, right? He's got to put in the work. He's got to plow the field. He's got to plant the seed. He's got to water the land. He's got to do all the other things farmers do that I don't have any idea what they do, but he's got to do all those things that he's got to do because he's got to be faithful to do the work. Well, in 2 Peter chapter 1, we see Peter explaining the promises we have in Christ and that we will become partakers of his divine nature. And then Peter says, it's for this very reason that we are to apply all diligence in being morally excellent. We are to work because God is at work. We talked about the verb, are being transformed, being in the passive voice, but it's also an imperative. It's a command. Isn't that interesting? It's a passive command. We are commanded to put ourselves in the way of the channels of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us. You can't sit off on the sidelines, totally checked out, waiting, waiting for God to do all this stuff, having no part of it. But... We also can't force the transformation ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But we are commanded to put ourselves in the way of the channels of grace that the Holy Spirit uses to transform us into the image of Christ. Which brings up the next question. What are the channels? <laughs> right? I'd like us to think next through the means that the Holy Spirit uses to conform us into the image of Christ. We've talked about the goal of sanctification and the agent of sanctification, but now I'd like us to think about the means the Holy Spirit uses to conform us into the image of Jesus. Verse 18 continues and says, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The, this, ladies, this is the foundational means of our transformation. Beholding the glory of Christ. Now, we're going to talk about five different means of beholding the glory of Christ, all of which impact our hearts 
change our focus and shape us more into Christ-likeness. The first way that we as New Testament believers can behold the glory of Christ is by faithfully, diligently, and daily reading, studying the word of our God. God has revealed himself and his will in his word. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And specifically, this is the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, that, God, that John is talking about. Jesus Christ is the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If we want to behold the glory of Christ, we need to be in His Word. We need to come to know God. And don't misunderstand that. We need to come to know God as He declares Himself to be in His Word not as we imagine him to be in our minds. This cannot be just a box that we check off or an item that we put on our daily to-do list, but rather we must approach our time in the Word as a real opportunity to see the loveliness of our Savior. It reminds me of Moses in Exodus 33 when he asked the Lord, Show me your glory. If we want to behold his glory, be overcome with his awesomeness, and see for ourselves the character of Christ, then we must protect our time in the Word. Another way we can behold the glory of Christ is by going to the Lord in prayer. And this is a really big one, and I think we underestimate it, and we take it for granted so often. If you were here at Big Church on Sunday, then you heard Pastor Tom teach us that we have a God who hears our prayers. Let yourself hear that with fresh ears. As believers under the new covenant, we have unrestricted access to the throne of the Lord God Almighty when we pray. With the death and resurrection of Christ, the veil was torn. There is now no separation between Christians and our God. And not only are we told to pray and given many examples of how to pray in Scripture, but we're even told in Hebrews that we're to go before him with confidence. We can boldly approach his throne because of our position in Christ. Ladies, we have a big God who is mighty and able to save, mighty and able to do more than we can think or imagine Not only can we come before him with boldness, but we can also come before him to pray for big things. We've talked before about how our view of the Lord is often just way too small, right? We get focused on the people in our lives and everything we see in the world around us, and, and even without meaning to, we start to think about God, our holy God, as if he were like us as if he were like what we see. But the God who spoke the universe into creation is not small. He is not limited. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is the great I am. And this is the God that we have unrestricted access to because of what Christ has done for us. And because our view of God is often so small, our prayers 
can be often way too small, right? Do, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever feel like, I don't really want to bother God. Like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to ask for too much. I'm just going to pray, just pray for this part. Yo, what? No, that is not how we're instructed to pray in Scripture. We are told to come boldly before his throne and to cry out to the Lord, and who, who by the way, gives generously to all and without reproach, even like the psalmist did. God commands us to come to him in prayer. We are to adore him for who he is. Thank him for all he's given us. Confess to him all of our sin. Beseech him for the desires of our heart. Ladies, we glorify God when we run to him in prayer. When we pray, we acknowledge our dependence on God. When we remain silent, we acknowledge our dependence on ourselves. Beholding the glory of God by speaking to him through prayer is not only an incredible gift and privilege, but it is also one of the means that God has ordained for us to be conformed into the image of his Son. A third way that we are transformed is through fellowship. Now, this one might surprise you, and I think that's because we can have a cheap view of fellowship, too. Fellowship does include sharing a meal. I'm not trying to trivialize, trivialize that. It does include sharing a meal with other believers and, and catching up on one another's lives and discussing what's going on in the world around us, but it goes so much deeper than that. Have you ever been spending the day with a friend just watching her interact with her kids or listening how she speaks about her husband? or seeing her use her gifts to bless others, and it spurs you on to do the same? You find yourself driving home thinking about how thankful you are for your friend and the example she is to you and to the others, and maybe her behavior even motivated you to go home and tell your husband what a blessing he is to you, or motivated you to do something special for someone you know. The reason that happens is because all believers are currently in the process of being transformed into the image of our Savior. Fellowship sanctifies us because of what we see in Christ in one another. We are inspired by other believers. And that's one of the reasons, side note, why great Christian biographies are so rewarding and encouraging, right? We see what real believers went through to take the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. We see how people like Elizabeth Elliot responded with the love of Christ to the tribe that had just murdered her husband and how she chose not only to stay and teach them the gospel, but to live it out right before their very eyes. Well, not only are we inspired by fellow believers, but we're also corrected by one another. We're sanctified when other Christians gently come alongside us and tell us what they see in our lives that we're not seeing. They speak the truth to us in love. And those conversations are usually not fun, but they are absolutely what we need. It's a good friend, a Christ-like friend that loves you enough to have a hard conversation with you because they want what's truly best for you. Well, we are also sanctified through fellowship as we encourage one another. 
I don't know about you, but I am continually amazed at how quickly my perspective can shift back to temporal things. I can be having a really good spiritual day, right? Maybe I've read my Bible, I've spent time with the Lord in prayer, I've been listening to Christian music, I'm minding my own business, I'm having a good day. And then my phone rings. And I get difficult news that I wasn't inspecting. And just like that, my focus is on myself. My focus is on myself and everything I now think I've got to deal with. And sometimes that's all it takes for me to start having to fight the temptation to fear and be anxious about all the things that could happen. And we're sanctified by our godly friends that come alongside us and remind us, girl, get your eyes back on Jesus not on the troubles of this world. Friends that share with us all that the Lord has promised us in his word. When our focus is on how very big our God is, it makes our troubles seem very small in comparison. Reminds me of that song. I love that they chose that song. Um, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? The troubles of the world grow dim when you are looking at the brightness of our God. A fourth means that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify us is our circumstances. Both the good ones and the bad ones. (laughs) Both the times of trial and the times of blessing. Every single circumstance that we find ourselves in has been ordained by the Lord. His providence allowed it to come to pass, and it is ultimately for our good. It is what's best for us. I mentioned Romans 8.28 earlier, and that verse is a balm to our soul so often, right? When we're going through really difficult times or just something we don't understand, we can be comforted by the truth that our Lord is at work. While there are also many places in Scripture that the psalm, or in the psalm specifically, that tell us that the Lord is our shield. Now, I've mentioned this before, but it was a few years ago. I think it's worth repeating. (laughs) The Lord is our shield. Psalm 28, 7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Please stop and consider that truth for a moment. God's word says that God himself is your shield. He doesn't just give you the tools to make a shield or even make one for you and give it to you. He is our shield. Think about the Roman soldiers and how important the shield of a Roman soldier was to him. The soldier in that time would not have dreamed of going into battle without his shield. Their shields were their main source of protection They were made out of wood and leather, and so surely they were helpful, but not impenetrable. Even think of Captain America's shield, (laughs) how important that was to him, right? It was supposedly made from the strongest stuff on earth, but even Captain America was vulnerable to attack. His shield was fictional, like the best humans could think up on our own. And it still couldn't keep him completely protected. He could be attacked from behind or from the top. His shield was only as useful as he could make it be. But the Bible tells us that our God is our shield. 
That means that nothing, absolutely nothing, no circumstance, no trial, no heartbreak will come into your life unless it has been allowed to pass through your shield. Because God has determined it is good for you. And it will help you be conformed into the image of your Savior. That is incredible. When we learn to see all of our circumstances as acts of God's providence, then we can behold his glory in all that he allows to come our way. We can praise the giver for all of his good gifts, gifts that include the hard times that we walk through that are for our good. We talk a lot about trials and struggles of this life, but we don't often talk about the times of rejoicing and blessing when we talk about the sovereignty of God, do we? We can be tempted to coast through and even be forgetful during the good times. And then we cry out and we cling to God through the difficult times. We talk about the sovereignty of God when we're going through a heartache or a painful time, but we, do we talk about the sovereignty of God when we get promoted? Or are we pretty quick to just acknowledge our own hard work in that? Do we talk about the sovereignty of God when our kid wins a championship? Or do we just swell up at how awesome our kids are? When we experience times of joy and blessing and our hearts are as full as David and we want to dance in the streets, in those times too, we need to acknowledge that everything that has been allowed to pass through our shield is because of the providence of God, that he has allowed it and brought it. I'm reminded of Paul when he told the Philippians that he has learned to be content in whatever circumstances he is in. And we read that, at least me, I can't speak for you, when I read that, that he's learned to be content in whatever circumstances he is in, my mind goes to the shipwrecks and the snake bite and all the times that he feast, faced beatings and stonings and 39 lashes and those verses that say, and he faced dangers in the rivers and dangers in the hills and dangers by the robbers and dangers by the Jews and dangers, and I was like, poor Paul. Like, that's what I think when I think he learned to be content. But he also learned to be content in times of plenty as well. Philippians 4, 11, and 12, Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Paul saw every circumstance of his life as the providence of God, and he glorified him through it. Even the good events in our lives are part of the sanctification process. They give us an opportunity to walk in humility, to trust the Lord, and to give thanks to him. But it won't happen accidentally. My daughter turned 16 this week, and it was a big milestone in our home because she's the youngest of our kids. And um, she's just a real blessing to her father and I. 
And I was thinking about her being 16. This is a good gift, right? I was thinking about her being 16. And I started out being thankful for all that the Lord has done. But like that quick, my mind was tempted to skip ahead and worry about all the things that will soon be coming into her life. Will she be safe driving? What will it look like when she has a job? Where will she want to go to college? What if she chooses to move far away? What will it be like to have an empty house? (laughs) And, And like as all the questions were building in my mind, the temptation to fear was building right along with it. And I had to tell myself, Crystal, stop. Enjoy the good gift. See the glory of the Lord in your circumstances. Praise his name. Thank him. Glorify him for the good gifts that he's given us. Stop turning them into a chance to worry. Be content in every circumstance that the Lord has you in. And as we rest in the providence of God, we behold his glory and can truly praise him for everything he brings our way. The fifth and last means of sanctification that we're going to discuss this morning is being transformed through obedience. If we want to behold his glory, if we want to become more like him and less like the people we were before we knew him, then we need to obey him. Acts of obedience are the result of sanctification. The more we love him, the more we want to obey him. But obedience is also the means for further growth and and holiness. For the believer, it's a cycle of grace, right? Because you love him, you desire to obey him. The more you obey him, the greater your love for him and your likeness to him. And the greater your likeness to him, the greater you long to obey him. This is a cycle for the believer. Obedience is both the fruit of sanctification and the means for further transformation into his image. The Apostle John is so clear about this in his writings. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience is an essential part of our being conformed into the likeness of our Savior. If we want to be like him, then logically, we must strive to think and act and love like him. Well, our verse this morning does a beautiful job of describing for us how we are transformed into the image of God. It answers both the questions, what is being done to us, and we are being transformed, and what must we do? Behold the glory of the Lord. Like the farmer... We must do our part. We've been commanded to do our part. We become what we behold. Naturally, we reflect the behavior and the lifestyle of the people we surround ourselves with, right? We become like what we're most often putting in front of our eyes. So what are we most often putting in front of our eyes? What are we most often beholding? That is what we will become like. If we behold the glory of the Lord each day through his word, then we will grow in our likeness to him. If we behold the values and the standards of the world by spending all of our time on social media, then we will grow in our likeness to the world. 
Phil Johnson adds an element to this that I hadn't considered before and I really appreciate. He says, you become like what you worship. If you worship an idol, you will take on the characteristics of that idol. If you worship money, you will become materialistic. If you worship entertainment, you will become trivial and worldly. If you worship power and prestige, you will become cold and calloused. If you worship yourself, you will become selfish and narcissistic. But if you worship Christ, you will be transformed into his image. We must be faithful to behold his glory through his word, time with him in prayer, fellowship, seeing his hand in all of our circumstances, and through obedience to him. Well, our one verse also says that we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And that's describing the slow process that sanctification is. We grow from one level of glory to the next, ever-increasing levels of glory. And sometimes it might seem slow and halting, but whether we perceive it or not, the transformation process is happening. It progresses steadily. The degree of which we resemble Christ is proportional to the degree of which we're beholding his glory until he comes or calls us home. In heaven, our transformation will be complete. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. When we are faithful to behold the glory of the Lord in the ways that we've talked about, we are satisfied in him. Christ satisfies the longings of our soul and the desires of our heart because he alone is our true source of joy and peace. Beholding him protects us from seeking satisfaction in other, lesser, sinful pleasures that can never deliver like Christ can. The pleasures and promises of this world are a lie. They are a cheap substitute. Sin entices us with promises of happiness and fulfillment, but it simply cannot deliver because it is not from God. As believers in Christ, we have been made new. We are entirely new creations with new hearts and new affections. And our new affections effect our new will. And our new will impacts our new actions. Because we love him, we want to obey him and be like him. And as we spend time in the word, we get to behold the loveliness of Christ. And through that, our hearts are changed and our wills are directed, which results in us walking in obedience to our God. Well, it is the Holy Spirit that opens our eyes to the glory of Christ and his love for us at salvation. Unbelievers are blind to the glory of Christ. They can't even see it, let alone be transformed by it. And so it needs to be said. If you're listening this morning to all of the ways that we can behold the glory of Christ, and you're thinking, yeah, I'm not really interested in that. That sounds like way too much effort. I just want to take my family to church because it's the right thing to do. But I don't really want my life to look a whole lot different than it does. I'm good. If that sounds like you, then I would beg you to consider whether or not you are truly in Christ. 
This is a great time to do some self-examination. Check your heart against everything Pastor Tom is saying on Sunday mornings as he teaches us through the book of 1 John. There is no way that a person can come to a saving faith in Jesus, be made new, be completely made new, a new creation, and then carry on living the way you were living, with the same wants, wishes, and desires and loves. It just doesn't work like that. People with a saving faith in Christ have a genuine desire to be like him. They love what he loves. They hate what he hates. And they grow in their likeness to him throughout their life. But the good news, though, is that if you aren't in Christ, it is not too late. Today is the day of salvation. Pray. Talk to the Lord. Acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in Christ and be saved. And if you have any questions about that, please feel free to grab a Titus 2 leader. Or if, or if this is um, embarrassing or you don't want to talk to somebody you know, come get me. I, I'll wait in the hallway. Let's talk. Don't let the day go by. For the believer, John Owen has a quote that I think is as beautiful as it is helpful for us to finish our time with. Owen says, On Christ's glory... I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world. May we be faithful to fix our eyes on Jesus, beholding his glory, being transformed into his image, and being his representatives to a watching world. Let's pray. Father God, we just find so much comfort and so much to be grateful for in your word. Lord, we are so thankful that the transformation believers go through is your work and not dependent on what we get right. Lord, forgive our short-sightedness and our selfishness. We are so quickly pulled back to things that are not eternal. I pray that you would go before us, that you would Give us a fresh desire and a, um, just a fresh love, Lord, to pursue the things that you would have for us. Help us behold your glory faithfully, Lord. We do. We want to be more like you and less like the people we were before we knew you. Help us run hard after you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank, thank you, Crystal. That was so true, so rich. I truly think everything we prayed for beforehand, the Lord graciously delivered. So thank you. Well, the last thing is just to remind you that the nursery sign-ups are somewhere on the tables. If you have the ability to sign up and serve once for us, we would so appreciate that. It just allows our younger moms to come and get to have that little morning away and get their refreshment, their fellowship. So um, again, we just ask for a one-time commitment. It's not all semester. So if you're able and willing, we, we would appreciate that. And they're scattered on the tables if you're still looking for, for one to sign up with. Um, the only other thing is that evidently there is cheese on the back counters that could go home with you. 
So if you would please help yourself to as much as you want, um, but go ahead and take the cheese home so that that gets eaten up. We would love to share it with you. Y'all have a wonderful day. You're in love.